The QPR podcast is sponsored by Florally Yours. Based outside Harrow-on-the-Hill train station and run by Kerry, a QPR fan, they can supply everything you need in the way of fresh flowers and plants for every occasion. QPR, QPR, Hello and welcome to the QPR podcast. I'm David Fraser. Welcome to the last QPR podcast of 2015. Um, I have three other regulars around the table with me and a very special guest. We'll introduce the regulars first. I would say, are you a semi, Clive? Yeah, well, the, jo- the joke's been done. <laughs> have we yes. done it loads of times? I yes. can't even remember. Yeah. What else can yeah. we... Well, we have to think of a different word to call you, but we'll call you a semi. Our semi... Fin- Finney's got a few, I think. Our semi from Loft for Words, Clive Whittingham. <laughs> Good, evening. Evening. Good evening. Hello. And our regular banker uh-huh. from Independent R's and Funky Flowers, other good flower providers are available more of that in a minute paul finney yeah all right hello paul you all right yes very good thank you it's, um, it's christmas i hope somebody buys you a joke book this year that, well i'm hoping that as well do you know what because it's christmas we'll give gabe our esteemed producer a shout out gabriel how do you even pronounce it mallard, mallard. gabriel yeah. gabriel mallard from burble media who's here every week why are you um, giving him a shout out as a little christmas present to give him a friggin razor it's more use yeah uh, Actually, you've, you've shaved your beard I off. I have shaved my beard off. Okay. I'm hoping it gives me the opposite of Samson-like qualities. No, that doesn't make sense. I'll carry on. Yeah, and you say quick. ITV Sports, Chris Mendes. Hello. Hello. Uh, right, before I get on with everything else, because we have a very special podcast. Oh, I should introduce the guest, of course, shouldn't I? We're Sorry. Uh, we're not going to go back and re-record it. We'll introduce the guest now. Um, Ours favourite, definitely fair to say, represented us um, with distinction for over 100 times and kind of always good on Twitter in particular for a quote line about the R's and we're really hoping um, you're going to give us a good few things to talk about tonight. Hogan Ephraim. Try my best, no pressure. <laughs> First of all, did I pronounce the surname right? Ephraim, yeah. Ephraim, okay. Well, that, that, that'll do. Hogan, we're going to come straight to you in a minute. Let me do all the other bits and pieces that I need to do. You can follow us on Twitter at QPR Pod. You can search for us on Facebook, News QPR Podcast. If you want to listen to old episodes, go to qprpod.co.uk. The only other thing to say is that our sponsor this week is Florally Yours. Calm down, Finney. Florally yours. Um, I'd like to thank them for sponsors because it's very good to have another Florist QPR fan involved exactly. in the podcast. This Kerry runs Florally Yours. They're at Harrow on the Hill Station. They're a great provider of fresh flowers and plants. So if you get off the Metropolitan line and you need a bunch of flowers, go up to Kerry, tell her you're a QPR fan, the QPR pod sent you. And the other thing you can do, you can, if you have an event permits for a wedding, you go to Funky Flowers, tell the Paul sent you, and thanks very much for the season ticket. Carry on. Florally yours. That's florally <laughs> yours. Right. Okay. Did, did I mention Should we get on with football? <laughs> Is this a thing? Let's get Is on with football. Flower wars on this yeah. podcast. No, yeah. If you're a florist that sponsors us, Paul gets very, very angry and devalues <laughs> your sponsorship or adds value to it, depending on how you look at it, it. I, by I the amount that he goes on about no, it. I just, just wish people had told. No, I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm more with florists support QPR the better by the way it was a sponsorship that Paul lined up but that's a different story right we have a guest yeah, who doesn't you want to talk up. about florists and flowers and sponsors um, Hogan welcome thank you welcome to me. the podcast um, 
you are always held in very high esteem. You've got a very special place in the hearts of QPR fans because of, um, of course, well, your, your exploits on the pitch, not least playing um, a full part in that promotion winning season. What are you up to now? At the minute, nothing. There's been two offers from clubs in this country since the summer, neither of which were attractive to me or caught my attention. Last week, there was um, an offer from Israel, which Yossi Benayoun phoned me up with. But with what's going on in the world at the moment, I didn't really want to go over to that part of the world, which he fully understood. And now there's maybe one or two things that could happen in the US with the MLS. So I'll wait until January, get the new year and Christmas out of the way and then see where we go That's from interesting because you had an experience of that with um, under Ryan Nelson, right, at Toronto? Yeah, I was over there. I think that was about three, maybe four years ago now. So... I enjoyed it over there. I love the city, love the place, enjoy the football, so maybe something can work. Mm. Uh, the thing is with the MLS, is it, is it right? Do you sign with the league? You don't sign with the club and the league tell you where you're going? Yes, in some cases you can sign to a specific club, but majority you sign to the league and then you can go to any of the 19, 20 clubs over there, which is a bit of a bummer because you could be in a great place or you could be somewhere <laughs> like... Salt Lake City. Exactly. Yeah. So what, what is it, seriously, what, what's the standard like? Because it, it does take a hammer because they're usually franchised out, these clubs, and yeah. they're kind of run by like Red Bull or whatever, and it's kind of like, a lot of people say fake passion, but is it quite, are they quite passionate fans? As or it compared it? to the championship standard, do you say? The standard of football, I would say it's on a level with the bottom half of the championship. Okay. But some of the teams could compete in the top half of the championship. But the atmosphere-wise, it's nowhere near the same. It's more of a party atmosphere. Fans, with all due respect, they don't really know what's going on. You do an overhead <laughs> kick on the... All due respect. On the, on the, yeah, on the throw-in throw line, you do an overhead kick. They celebrate like it's a goal. Mm. They just love it. But it's, it's strange because you don't really get any away fans either because the flights are three, four, five hours. So, Do you ever see any QPR different. fans out there? I actually did see one my first game <laughs> no played um, Vancouver away and as we'd gone to the stadium the night before a guy had come up to me an English guy and he was over there he said he um, he was a Rangers fan and he'd see me obviously in this country so he came to the game so wow yeah. and let me tell you about when your first your first answer to the question was you'd had a couple of offers from clubs here but they weren't right for you what does a player in your position uh, what what constitutes not right is it the level is it the likely opportunities of you being in the team is it the money is it a combination of all those things uh, not really I think I've got to the stage now where I've I've had a decent career I've enjoyed what I've done had a great achievement with QPR getting promoted I've been fortunate enough to make good money so now it's just about enjoying it and to enjoy it, you want to go somewhere where the football's going to be right and the manager's going to be straight down the line with you. And at the minute, I just don't feel the options that there were would be that enjoyable. And whether that meant me not playing for six months, I'd rather do that than be somewhere and not be happy. So mm. I think that was the best case for everyone involved, really, to just say... Take your time. Yeah, thanks, but no thanks. And are you really. training? I'm doing stuff on my own and I'm playing a little bit of football. It's obviously a lot different from match fitness, but I'll take over anyway and play play with my mates and keep 
keep myself in reasonable shape. So mm. what you're not talking about is you got a great offer in the pub tonight from Clay. I think you should really consider that. Well, we're going to put we're going to put a financial package on the table. Does it involve fish pies, a drink? Two pints after. Well, he's got a can of Bex, so that's the signing on fee taken care of. Exactly. What I'm thinking is, I'm thinking, why do you not get yourself the Irish League for a bit? And then qualify for Northern Ireland, and then the European Championships are coming up. We're in. God, I can't believe I'm saying that. It's great. I meant to say this the other week. You know when the European Championship draw was being done? Are you in? Yeah, yeah we were there. It's weird. You were booing us in the pub, remember? Anyway, um, and we can actually take, it's really weird taking part in these things. Can I just say, I've wanted to say this for years, what a bastard it is to book transport for the European Championships. It's hell. <laughs> anyway. There you go. Why don't you play for Northern Ireland? We'll do great. We need, we need someone uh, with a bit of a... My mum's from the Republic of Ireland. She won't be too happy with that. Don't tell her. And I, and I even turned those down early on in the QPR days. So she... You turned the Republic? Yeah. When, um, oh. when oh. Decanio was manager, actually. Ah. So, uh, what, what was he like, by the way? Funny character. He just couldn't speak a word of English. So I heard. He loved the London night scene. <laughs> He'd regularly come in looking worse for wear. But it was all right because we basically just got down to it ourselves and we played some of the best football that we played in my time there. So I think maybe more managers should have gave us that sort of responsibility. The, tra- the training under him was essentially he would do a little bit of the start through a translator. Yeah. And then you lads would get on with it for a sort of small-sided game for the rest of the session. That was basically, basically it, wasn't it? Basically, yeah. He, he would tell us, or he, the translator would um, he'd tell us what we're going to do, but we still had no idea what he was on about, so we just got down <laughs> to... It was just like playing with your friends in a, in a park. It was decent. By the way, can I... Moving on from the gym of Jilton. Yeah. There was... He play, we played some really good football in the gym, yeah. I felt. All right, I'm a bit biased because being from Northern Ireland, I know, blah, blah, blah. But... What, can you actually say what happened to that Watford game? I actually wasn't there. I was actually on loan at Leeds at the time. I was watching it on TV. Yeah, but you know what happened from the word from the boys and everything else. I mean, you, you're still in touch. From what I was told, they've gone in after the game. Jim, after every game, he'd always lose his head. And he Literally. wasn't. Yeah, and he wasn't too happy. And um, he decided to say he wasn't happy at Akos Buzaki. And I think he only played 14, 15 minutes. So. He thought it was a bit unfair, threw his boots or shin pads on the floor, got in a little bit of a strop, said, why are you always picking on me, sort of thing. And then I think Jim's just going to confront him and their heads have come together. And then one of the other boys stood up at the time, uh, Patrick Adjamang it was, and he said, basically, what the hell are you doing? He said, don't do that. If you want to have a problem, come and have a problem with me. You know, Akos can't look after himself. Come and have a problem here. Hang on, Adjumang said that to Magilton. Yeah. Right. Um, wow. Probably, probably I'd back down. I would, down back down. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely back down. So he didn't point. headbutt him then? <laughs> no. So oh, okay. they said he was a bit in between what to do, step forward or step back, and then everyone got in between. And, and that is the moment that a manager loses face in front of the yeah. team, right? If yeah. your centre forward is calling you out and he's the size <laughs> and strength of Patrick Adjumang. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted to know that because it was one of them things that no one ever talked about but we all know happened yeah. and it was obviously the reason why he left but also Bazaki was never the same afterwards either as a player I felt yeah he was he was a quiet guy anyway and then I think when that happened he really went into his shell and he just 
he isolated himself a little bit and oh, he was never the same footballing wise yeah so he was a great player he had, he, had some bad in, he had some bad injuries as well yeah it, he did that key. but the, the interesting thing is that incident came at the end of a weekend when we had two games and having done reasonably well all season we lost 5-1 to Middlesbrough on Saturday and then got hammered at Watford on Monday sort of for no reason so it was like it seemed like there was something sort of amiss and, and going on there but you know there usually is well, talking of managers, Hogan, do you know how many you played under at QPR? I'm going to guess 14. Including you, caretakers? Including, go on, including caretakers. Six, no, 16, I'll say. You played under 12. Eight 12. permanent, four caretakers, one of them twice. Can you name the eight? <laughs> the eight permanent. John Gregory appeared under or was just kicking around no we're there we're, we're there, there whilst you whilst you were there John Gregory Paul Hart yeah what a legend Luigi uh, Decanio Mark yeah. Hughes Neil Warnock Harry Redknapp Paolo Souza and I think that's eight, but Ian I think Dowie. that's another. That's nine. Yeah. Nine, right? Yeah. Nine, including Dowie, nine. Yeah. And the four caretakers? Mick Harford, Mark Bertram. And Steve Gallen. Mick Harford again. Oh, yeah, and Steve <laughs> Gallen, yeah. That's where he's going to go wrong. <laughs> yeah. No, because I can see what you... Uh, well, sorry I ruined it for you. And Gareth <laughs> well, Ainsworth. And Gareth Ainsworth twice. Ainsworth. Not, yeah. So it's, that's quite a lot, isn't it? Even for six and a half years, that's, or whatever it was, that's quite a lot, right? Yeah, no, it was a hell of a turnover. Favourite manager to play under? Um, Favourite? Mark Hughes. Oh, that's interesting. Who you didn't play under, right? Made one appearance under Hughes. Like made one. Yeah. And the other one in the Premier League was the Everton game, under wasn't it? Warnock, yeah. It's funny, though, because Mark Hughes has obviously didn't do well at QPR and he's done really well yeah. everywhere mm. else he's gone. Like, why do you think that was? I liked him where he was just straight down the line. Mm. He's quite reserved and quiet and within himself, but training was always good. He'd be on your back or he could be the nice guy. He'd mix it up where... A lot of the other managers, don't get me wrong, there's some very good ones that I worked with in there. Jim Jilton, um, Ian Dowie, I really like those as well. But I just think he had that extra little bit of class and he got his point across the best, so enjoyed so it thoroughly. So where it went wrong, do you think maybe just a, a wrong mix of players in the first team? Maybe? I, I, I would say so, yeah. I'd say the players there weren't good enough. They were at the back end of their glorious careers and um, they, they didn't really have the, the necessary hunger or fight. They what QPR were doing at that time the contracts they were handing out it's something you dream of as a 30 year old footballer you wouldn't think that is possible so I think a lot of them were in their comfort zone and he paid the price for it and also he left Mike Rigg behind he did yeah he did <laughs> but how did you feel it's interesting you saying that you're the best manager you played under was Mark Hughes but surely as a player trying to get in the team looking at all those other players coming in that must have been quite difficult for you yet you're saying actually you felt really well treated by the manager. Yeah, it was difficult, but it was it was nice in a way where I wasn't in I was on the bench now and then, so I wasn't in the starting eleven. But he would treat me the same as he would treat Jason Park, for example, mm. who's one of the biggest names, at, who was at the club at that time. 
so he was always respectful on that level and that's what I enjoyed and he wouldn't do he wouldn't give other players privileges which he wouldn't do to players that weren't in the team and I was just respecting him fully for that and I thought that just showed the background he's had in football and where he's come from and he knew how to relate to players and that's what I, I respect the most. Which presumably is different to how Harry Redknapp deals with players that he wants in his team and players he's not bothered about having. That's them. a leading question, Clive. <laughs> I do, I do specialise in leading questions. But <laughs> yeah. You wanted to sue as well. You look like you should be doing like an ITV programme, but, but judgments and juries. Let, let's let Hogan answer, I think. Yeah, they, they were just the, they were the polar opposites, but whether that's... I don't know, one is more of an old school manager, whether their days in playing's been different, I'm not sure, but Redknapp and Hughes polar opposites in that respect. But that's not for me to say who's right or wrong. If it's worked for him throughout his career, then fair play. But I, I didn't think it was the right way to go. But he's the manager and he probably thought they were at the bottom of the league. He wanted to make an example and he did what he had to do, but Mm. just at the end of the day it didn't work and that's the thing that's most disappointing Did, Was Harry like his TV persona like the character you see in TV with the arm out the window and transfer deadline die or was he a lot cleverer than what he made out? We didn't really have many conversations I think we spoke about four or five times in the two, in the two years he was there Yeah, so there wasn't many conversations he was he observes a lot he stands back he doesn't really get involved talking with the players I remember we came back for pre-season the year we'd just gone down and the first meeting he'd done when we walked down to the training pitch he tried to be um, like a sergeant and basically put the later laws down which didn't go down great. Oh really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, that didn't go down great because we didn't... You didn't really believe that was him, if you know what I mean. Where oh, OK. If, if you believed that it was him, then fair enough. But I don't know, I think... When I was looking at it before he joined QPR, I was on Twitter saying he should be the next England manager. That was that's, right. that's what I mm. thought looking at it from the TV, and I just felt it was a bit different when I when I saw him on face to face value. But hopefully, well, we've got the club back up to the league, so he did he did all right, all in all. His, his best spell at QPR was when he, Steve McLaren was was doing most of the the coaching. That was our best sort of spell of results under Redknapp. Laid the laid the platform for the. Uh, for the promotion that year was was when Steve McLaren was there. You know, it's interesting. Redknapp sort of is known as he's not very tactical and he's not very this and he's not very that. And he, but he is a great man manager. That's what we're always told. You know, and there's there's a guy here that's played was there for two years ostensibly as a first team player that said he had four possibly five conversations <coughs> with a guy in in two years. That's Harry's famed. Man that's what manager. happens when you have friends in the media. Because this what, this, what Hogan's saying, I mean, you've heard it, I'm sure. I've heard it from countless people inside the club. I know you can't or don't yeah. want to necessarily comment, but I have heard many times he's not that the character that the media portray. And I suppose that's what happens when you've got pals who are writing pieces every day. They, they, they do you favours, don't and, they? And when you've got a £78 million wage bill in the Championship, you are chances are going to be <laughs> one of the three teams that gets promoted from it, even if you do do it by the skin of your teeth in the last second of a playoff final. <laughs> It's interesting though because I, I, I'm quite good to hear that because the way that Harry betrays himself is clearly different and all that sort of thing. But yeah. if you've seen that, then other people in the club must have seen it as well. Yeah. So, and it, obviously there was a lot bigger names than me, people with a lot bigger wages, bigger of history in football. So they could they could go and approach him and say exactly what they thought, and one or two of them did, and. 
that's when problems come because these players they have so much power if you really want to get into a battle with them you're not going to win when, uh, really yeah you're not going to win so Jesus okay when uh, Tony Fernandez when he ever comes down to training does he have much of a pre- pre- presence does he ever do like uh, speeches to the team or does he ever speak to the team address them he normally comes around and speaks to the players like one on one he's a nice lovely guy bubbly guy and um when we went to Malaysia for pre-season, he was obviously heavily involved in that and he would come over and he would talk a lot. So, yeah, he's a nice guy. I think he realises that he's not the most knowledgeable football man out there. So he tries to surround himself with people that do, but he's, he's got a great heart and he's got the club's best interests at heart. You worked under Gareth Ainsworth, you played with him, he was caretaker, and then you went back and played for him at Wickham. How has how is sort of he developed as a manager? Because a lot of QPR fans see him as sort of a QPR manager of the future in waiting because he's obviously doing very well at Wickham. Like, yeah. How is he as a manager? How do you rate him? How is he developing? He's doing a great job there for the, for the resources that they've got and for the position he had him in last year. And even this year, they're, they're in and around the playoffs. So he's doing a fantastic job. And naturally, he will be linked to the QPR job because of his history and how the fans responded to him as a player. I think... When he was caretaker at QPR, it was tough for him where there were big personalities around and there was owners which were making him aware of what they wanted to be done. But now at Wickham, he's got a load of young players that look up to him. They see the history he's had. So that will be the hardest part for him if he did go to, say, a QPR right now, is how do you deal with the more experienced senior players yeah. So, how did that that work with the, when he was caretaker? Because it was pretty obvious that Flavio and people were were having a say in the starting eleven. Okay. How, how did that kind of what you would train and then you think, Clive? Well, <laughs> you know, really? I'm trying to be diplomatic. <laughs> you know, it's like we'd get, you'd train all week and then on Friday, you know, a team sheet gets faxed in. Or was it? You know, how how aware were you guys of that? And mm. how how did it work or not work? It can't, to be honest, it all came to fruition on the Friday before we played. I think it was ready in a way when and Ian Dowie left on that Friday and we went out to the training pitch. Ian Dowie called us all in to the middle of the centre circle. He said, boys, this is the team. I've been told not to play this team, to play another team. He said, I'm wow. playing. Yeah. And he said, I'm playing this team if I'm here. Otherwise, they'll have to sack me. So we went through the training needless to say as in he said I'm defying what they're telling me yeah. I'm going to play my team yeah. yeah so then the powers that be they were watching training they'd obviously seen that he wasn't changing his mind then he was gone so then we wow were, yes. so Ian Dowie got sacked because he refused to play the team he was told yeah. to play that Ian was, Dowie's yeah. still got the best win ratio out of any he, yeah, yeah, went eight, eight, of, 8 of 15 yeah. and yeah. got us through a few cup rounds as well beat Villa and yeah. went to Man United yeah. but uh, he had in the summer there he wanted to pit Lee Camp as goalkeeper I was, I was told because Lee Camp was the first choice of the season before and obviously spent a lot of money getting Cherney in but the week before we had a friendly against Kievo where Dowie had told uh, Camp before the game that he was going to be the first choice goalkeeper for the season until he did something that meant he shouldn't be and uh, before that Kievo game, I was told at Bria Tori, so we, you know, we haven't spent this money on Radic Cherny for him not to play. So Radic Cherny's the goalkeeper. And I think Cherny played 80 minutes against Kievo and Camp got the last 10 minutes and like, didn't have anything to do. And obviously, as soon as the season started, Cherny was number one. Not that Cherny was a bad goalkeeper, but again, yeah. it was that sort of who's in charge thing. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I, it was weird them days because, you know, I'm not going to name names, but because you can't really, I know you can't really say, oh, guess what, but. Um, 
I remember his family told me that it, it was the closest that Ian had ever come to nervous breakdown in his whole life, working yeah. at QPR. The pressure he was put under, and um, I was, you know, I was randomly called out of the blue, and this guy was going like, um, "This is what's happening at QPR." Ian's under so much pressure from the owners to, to do this and do that, and he's so frustrated because he's quite a strong character, isn't he? Yeah, he is. So you do wonder if he was left his own devices, what would have happened? Because his win ratio wasn't bad yeah. under pressure, given his own team. I think he would have done really well. He was one of the most professional managers that I had there. Everything was set out to a T. Mm. And his backroom staff was good. He had John Harbin as his fitness coach, which in pre-season was a nightmare. Had us swimming at six, seven in the morning. But it was all for the benefit of the club. And I thought he would have done a good job. But him and obviously the owners didn't see eye to eye before that Reading game. Yeah. And That's crazy, that was though, the final it? straw. I mean, yeah. But... Interesting hearing what you're saying about Ian Dowin standing up to the regime at the time. You also weren't scared of standing up to them <laughs> at the time. Anyone that's seen the four-year plan, um, and we, we will um, post a clip of this because we got sent it this afternoon by Ad Hoc Films, who filmed it. Yeah. Everybody will remember that scene in the training ground, at the training ground, where you were. there was a team meeting and Flavio Briatore was sort of barking at the team and only one man, they went to the captain, Mikel Ledgetwood, and he sort of was quite diplomatic about things, and only one man really was prepared to speak his mind, and that was you, complaining about the attitude after the 5-0 defeat of Forrest and how we should be ashamed at losing to Scunthorpe. Um, and that seemed to go down pretty well. But you, you were pretty brave there. It was For me, I wouldn't really say it was a brave move. It was more of a frustration part where... We just lost 5-0 at Forest. I came on when we were 3-0 down and even coming onto the pitch, I'm looking at the team, I know disrespect because they're my teammates, but I'm looking at it thinking, what is the point of even coming on here? We're only going to go and get beat 5-6-7. There was literally no point. Then we played at home to Scunthorpe and for me that was the worst atmosphere I'd ever seen at Loftus Road. The fans have really turned because they didn't like what they saw from the team and they had every right to because it was, it was a bad attitude and it was stinking out of the stadium really. And then after the game, the, the, the pub outside the stadium was absolute mayhem. And then the players came in and they were moaning about they'd been abused uh, by some of the fans and they had their kids or their wives with them as they were walking to the car park. And I, I was young at the time and I just thought, don't get me wrong, you shouldn't be abused in front of your kids and wives, but yeah, I agree. the fans do have a mm. voice and they're going to speak it. We're living in the sort of world where if you see someone, you're going to say what you feel. And they have a right to, really, because if you walk past with your wife and kids and they praise you, you're not going to complain about that. So it works both ways. And if you will lose 1-0 to Scunthorpe. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and it was a bad Scunthorpe team. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so it was more frustration at that. And then every other day we're seeing the owners at the training ground, so everything was just getting too much then. And it didn't mm. seem like anyone really, really cared. And if we continued in that way, we was going down that year. Mm. And Was that the game Ian Everts scored? Or was that a different Scunthorpe? No, game? that's, a, that's, that's okay. a different... I want you to wait, because we're obviously going to get on the Warnock promotion season, which yeah. will, you know... Lift, lift well, let's mood. do it now. Let's <laughs> do it now. Let's do it now. I want to ask about Sousa because there was a game at home to Swansea, a good Swansea team, yep. where we won, played really well, and you and Adele played behind the striker, and it, it seemed to work really well. And Sousa seemed 
more than any other manager at QPR, as you know, an outsider looking in, yeah. seemed to know where to play you and how it would work well. You know, you seem to play really well under him. So, yeah. and he's obviously gone on and done excellent things. He's currently doing great for Fiorentina. So I just wondered because he's seen as. Not, is he seen as a bit of a joke figure at QPR? He didn't come bit. across well in the film, did he? Maybe because, because of the owners as well. Well, yes. The four-year plan ways. He must be the manager ever to be sacked by a website, if I recall right. I could be wrong. <laughs> but there was a particular website that had it in for him. Yes, and so a particular drummer, yes. if I recall right, yeah, yeah. who was posting a lot of things. Sometimes yes, you get managers that just do better on the continent, like... Um, he was quite. AVB, yeah, he was only. What was know, his second? We were his second job, and he went. He went to Swansea and Leicester yeah. and things after us. But I just wondered how how he was because he's done really well since, and you seem to yeah. do really well under him. Yeah, no, I thought he was a he was a great manager, and that Swansea game, he played me on the left with Adele number ten, but it was sort of interchangeable, and it worked really well. And then after that, ever since that game, he played me in a midfield diamond, which I actually enjoyed and I liked it. And so personally, I really enjoyed playing under him. There was a freedom on the pitch where players were moving around and he was just constantly talking pass, pass, pass the ball. So he was very good at what I thought. He would even come on nights out with a team. I remember one night we had a, a team night out and he, him and his assistant were in the nightclub with us. So it, it was a decent laugh, but they were the sort of things that you could do now and then when things are going well. And his time obviously come to an end over the whole... Dexter, Dexter Blackstock. Yeah, <laughs> well, if you, if you yeah. don't get on with certain people at QPR at that exactly. time, you get the yeah. sack. So. Yeah, so. Oh, band. Well, let's, <laughs> yeah. let's, let's, um, let's move on to the championship season then, seeing as Clive mentioned it before. Um, I don't know how many games you played. It was, it was some 20, 25 games, so yeah. very significant part of that team. What are your. That, surely that must rank as the highlight or one of the big highlights of your career? Yeah, most definitely. That whole year from start to finish was just incredible. And it's a year I'll never forget and it's the one that I hold in the highest esteem. It, it must be, sorry, it must be weird because if you go on to that period of players, we brought in some strange signings from yeah. abroad and a male, people <laughs> like that. And then all of a sudden you get the likes of Mackie coming in, you've got Sean Derry coming in, you've got Clint Hill. That must have been a major change yeah. in attitude. Yeah, definitely. That, that summer, I think that's what changed it. The characters, when you look at Mackie, Clint Hill, Sean Derry, Bradley Orr, Paddy Kenny, it was a real British base and people that have been in that league for years and you could count on them week in, week yeah. out to give you a 7, 8 out of 10 performance. And I think that was it because the, the, the special player was Adele. There's no hiding that. He, he was the main talent. He was the best player in that league by a million miles. But you needed that base around him, which mm. you could rely on when things aren't going his way. Yeah. So we had that. And even uh, Heider Helgerson, who I know he's not he's a, British, a British player, but he's very British in the way British that he plays. Style, British, yeah. 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 What I'm saying is the standard of players were signing a guy from Carl Sheldon Reserves. And then all of a sudden, you know, one season, and then, no disrespect to Carl Sheldon Reserves, I'm sure quite a good side. Yeah. Um, but then we got professional all of a sudden on the walk, yeah. didn't we? He did, did change it. To be yeah, and no, it changes it massively. And then you look through the whole spine of that team, you suddenly have Clint Hill and Fitz Hall, who have been around for years, Paddy Kenny behind them. You have Sean Derry and then Alejandro Fowlin, who's another brilliant player, then mm. Helgerson at the top. And then you just float it out with the Jamie Mackeys, the Tommy Smiths, the Bradley Orr's, people like that. And it just worked to a treat. And yeah. 
it, it was a great I think it was a great summer for Neil Warnock bringing those players in the thing I remember about that summer is that people weren't actually that happy about the signings because no. Sean Derry was coming towards yeah, the end of his career yeah, Clint, Clint Hill, Hill, Clint Hill was coming towards the end of his career <laughs> Warnock it was, all, it was like <laughs> oh it's not playing Clint Hill <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's like a never ending story that guy but he's <laughs> but a lot of people were say, oh Warnock old boys act you know yeah. old Chef yeah. United and Palace players coming here mm. and that was the best season we've had whereas other summers when we've been signing big names and everyone was very optimistic about it it hasn't it hasn't gone particularly well and that I, th- I wonder at what point it sort of turned from oh it's going to be sort of journeyman and maybe we'll get in the playoffs to oh we're, we're just going to win the whole thing because there was a notable thing in August we beat a bad Barnsley team and a bad Chef United team although winning away was yeah. quite an unusual thing for us at that <laughs> yeah. time and then there was the derby game which all, that almost felt like the big point when we went from being a team that might yeah. push for playoffs to being a team that's actually going to go and compete here was that was that how it felt well, was I that one thought... supposed to game against West Brom huh? yeah that was the previous season we won was it three talking one, about yeah. the yeah. game we equalised two yeah. goals and lost yeah. yeah when we we beat Barnsley I think it was first game of the season 4-0 and it was a great performance but even then you're not thinking about going up this one game in the Sheffield United one was quite significant in I'd always found that a horrible place to go and never get anything so to be 3 nil up in 20, 21 minutes was unbelievable the Derby game as you said 2-0 um, down we got absolutely battered mm. and I'm not sure how and we normally we'd have just that. gone on and lost that game yeah I'm, I'm still I don't know how we got a point <laughs> from that it was the most undeserved point of all time <laughs> <laughs> and then and then we did it again yeah, <laughs> yeah. Final. and then we went and played Ipswich away I think it was a Tuesday night and we won 3 0. It was Carl Walker's first game. He yeah, came in and played yeah. We just lost Bradley yeah. or yeah. go out and get Carl Walker and he was brilliant. That was a great sign. Yeah, yeah, and I couldn't that, that, I couldn't believe that. I was looking up at the scoreboard with 3 0 up away at Ipswich and I'm just thinking, this ain't right. If we just keep <laughs> just anyone that comes our way, we're running past them. And I think Carl Walker was a significant sign in that season as well. When he came in, he was there for maybe a couple of months and he was actually our biggest attacking threat from right back he was yeah. frightening and I'd never seen someone like get forward like him so every two months we were getting a boost then Wayne Routledge would come in Ishmael Miller would come in and it just kept ticking over the Routledge signing was massive I mean oh, was like massive. Said, the yeah. Bristol, I remember Bristol City away where Carl Walker got man of the match and like you said yeah. was our biggest attacking threat yeah, as yeah. the right bat but we lost I think we only lost five games all season we lost three of them over Christmas and then signed Routledge in January just as Jamie yeah. Mackey got injured yeah. so it was just another sort of kick yeah. on really wasn't it yeah and that's where you've got to give the owners their credit as well because it would have been easy for them to say we've gave you this budget but they kept going and pushing more so fair play to them and then the manager for picking out those specific players and then the players for getting the job done so it was a great all round effort how did the falling thing Oh, that was that was a nightmare because we beat Watford and we've got promoted and you're still not sure whether mm. we're definitely up. So the owners took us on a night out, great night out. Then the following week we played Leicester, um, sorry, Leeds at home. And then before the game, Gianni uh, Palladini just walked in the change room crying his eyes out, ripped his shirt open, saying, we've done it, we've done it. So then that's when we first knew that uh, there was no point. Was it, I always ripped my shirt it, open when I had something to celebrate. Was it killing you, though, over those games? Because we, we were at a stage where we needed, like, if we'd won at Cardiff, we would have been promoted. If we'd beaten Derby at home, we would have yeah. been promoted. And we're getting draws. Was it... Warnock always said, no, it's only the press that's talking about it. It's not affecting us. But was it actually affecting the team, you know... 
Because you should have been we, parading away to the, yeah. you know. As soon as it came out, we were told by, by Gianni, we were told there's no way on earth points are getting deducted. So which in our mind thought we're definitely getting points deducted. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Whatever he said, you go with the opposite. So. That is a line of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. So we thought, oh, we're in trouble here. But he was adamant, and that just made us panic even more because <laughs> it, he's got something to hide when that's happened. But then when it didn't, um, when obviously nothing came of it, we were just delighted. And I, I do think if we even went to the playoffs, we would have beat whoever was in the playoffs that year anyway. I think we, we were Fair so point. much better than any other team. Yeah. And I think that Cardiff game, I know that they were probably the better side there. I know they were probably the better side at home, but Adele on two bits of magic. We got ah, the draw. Yeah. And if we played him in the playoffs, we would have beat him, I believe. One yeah. of, one he, of the, that was one of his best games, actually. He was amazing yeah. that day. He, they could not cope with him from the first no. whistle. They didn't know what. Uh, sorry, sorry. I'm an Adele fan. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do Adele now. Right. Yeah. So, because I have a question for you in a minute about Adele, but he is a much often discussed subject on this podcast. Yeah. What tell us from having seen the man, having worked with him day in, day out? Tell us what your view is on Adele. A sensational footballer can do stuff with a football that no one else I've ever seen can do. As a person, he's so funny and hilarious. He's he's actually a clown. He's just <laughs> he's in his own world, and some people don't like it. But m- mentally, it's like he's still a young kid. He just wants to be running around playing football. While one of the managers are talking, he's just trying to nutmeg people while we're supposed to be there listening. He's just a crazy character, but he he means well. He has a good Mm. heart. He's got the odd hissy fit in him, but that's just the character he is. All in all, I would have Adele in my team and in my squad every single day of the week. Well, interesting you say that because we've got a question here. I spoke to Matt Hodgson, who directed the four-year plan this afternoon, who helped us with the clip of you. And he gave us a question to ask to you, which actually is, is sort of in a bit, a bit of contrast to what you just said. He said, something that has always struck me. I remember a conversation at the training ground with Hogan and Adele where Tarap was talking about wanting a big money move to a big club and wasn't really concerned if he didn't play much once he was there. It was around the time there was speculation about him moving on during the championship winning season. I recall Hogan couldn't fathom it, suggesting he was playing regularly and well, and that's the most important thing. Does Hogan recall this? And now looking at Adele's plight, what does he think of it? He's at Benfica and hasn't even played a first-team appearance. I don't recall that conversation, maybe because I've probably heard Adele say to me a hundred times he's signing for Real Madrid. (laughs) I hear it every day. So, no, but... Adele would make those sort of those sort of statements. He would say, "I couldn't care what happens on Saturday. I'm going to play for Barcelona in January." But he right. he knew deep down that wasn't the truth. He knew we knew it wasn't the truth. But maybe he needed it to rub off his ego the right way. Mm. But when the Saturday would come, because I've heard him say plenty of times, "I'm not playing this weekend. I'm not playing." He's the first one who would be moaning, knocking on the manager's door if he's not picked. Yeah, so yeah. he was always desperate to play and. I know things haven't gone too well for him at Benfica yet, which was a surprise. I thought that it would it would go his way where it's a bit of a kick up the butt for him and yeah. he'd want to show people, but hopefully he can turn it around because he, he's a great player and I'd like to see him He took corners and penalties better when he was at QPR, well, didn't he? Well, I know, he's having one. <laughs> one, of the, one, of, one of the players that was in that team that we got promoted that year yeah. um, was Sean Derry and he's made a pretty solid start to management in at Cambridge. Uh, could you see that in him? And he's someone that QPR fans think that maybe... 
um, if his career goes the right way, he could be the next QPR manager. Most definitely, yeah. I, uh, I was at Peterborough when Sean Derry was at Notts County and his team were a credit to him. They were brilliant that day. And one of my best mates in football is actually at Cambridge at the moment. And he, he asked me before Sean Derry went there, what's he like? And I told him and he rang me last week saying, listen, he's been top class since he's gone there. And I think he'll do well. They have a good budget down there. They have some good players. And I think if he does well, then the natural progression, he'll get linked to the QPR job, of course. And you'll end up getting to a stage, him, Gareth Ainsworth, to all going for it together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's your view on QPR now? Tough stage at the moment. I think the new manager, it's a good appointment. I'm a bit worried contract-wise when you look at Charlie Austin, Junior Hoyler. I don't think your best players should be running out of contract, let alone when they're your most valuable assets as well. Mm. But it's a, it's, a, it's a massive season for them. I worried for them at the end of last season and I thought that they'd be closer to relegation and promotion after last season. But they've made the change. They've kept Charlie Austin, they've kept Matt Phillips and that gives me more encouragement. And with the new manager now, I believe they can put a run together. I don't see any of the players leaving in January. I think that's out of the question. So I think they'll put a run together and they'll be in and around the playoffs. And then once you get in there, it's, it's a lottery. And now that you've been out, out of the club, I suppose, for nearly two years, yeah. nearly two years, how do you look back on it? What's your, what's your someone asks you, uh, what do you think of QPR? What do you say? I love the club. That's my, that's my second team now. Um, I know a lot of people would say growing up and coming through at West Ham, maybe they would be, but I hold QPR even above West Ham just because I was there from a boy to a man and, the experiences I had there it was unbelievable and apart, apart from Man United they're the team I look out for now or maybe even before Man United because I was obviously terrible it, it's well. so funny <laughs> this, we ask we hear this time and time again from all the players and ex-players that we interview what, you know, we'll say what, you know, tell us about your time at the club oh there was this scandal and we nearly lost points and it was run appallingly and they treated the players really badly but I love the club yeah. you know I love the club <laughs> and it's it's good character that's why yeah strange no, yeah. can't really stay the same for Man U <laughs> do you do you like find do you regret staying at QPR as long as you did almost because you know managers came and went some of them liked you some of them didn't you had loan spells here and there do you regret I mean did was the opportunity ever there to bite the bullet and take a permanent move somewhere else and you know do you sit here and think oh because you, like you had a good time at Charlton for instance yeah. do you do you just think oh I should have you know realised that this club's an absolute mess and you know you know there's chances to go elsewhere do you regret no, staying as long as you did no I don't even to the day where I had played a minute all in all of my last season there and I knew that the manager wanted me out he made it clear to me I was training with the kids for the whole year so I knew he wanted me out but I still believed and he, he said to me after we beat Wigan in the semi-finals he said to me Andy Johnson he said you boys can go on holiday you're not needed around the club for the final so I was actually on holiday watching the playoff final and I'm sitting there and I'm still thinking to myself if QPR lose this I was hearing rumours of Steve Clark at the time I thought he's going to at least give me a trial in the summer so don't get me wrong I wanted QPR to get promoted because I knew what it meant to all the boys and it, it was a great it was a great time but I, have, I do believe if QPR didn't get promoted I would have had a chance that summer to earn another deal well, the good the good thing about QPR is a player who's out of the team. If the manager doesn't like you, there's always another manager yeah. only a couple yeah. of months away. So. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> ideal. <laughs> okay, um, we're nearly 
we're nearly at the end. Um, what we'll do is we'll do our um, ours end, which is kind of go around the table, uh, talk about anything that we haven't quite um, gone through, and then we'll come back for a final question for you, Hogan. Cool. One of uh, Paul Clive, it'd be good if you can wrap up Bristol City because we haven't talked about that at all. Let me um, let me do kind of a couple of important things that I need to talk about. So in my bit, so first of all, so we did um, the. Uh, raffle for Stambowls. Um We did a collection for Stambowls. We've got a series of raffle prizes together uh, and that closed today. We raised, we haven't added it up 100% yet, but we raised £400 um, for a collection that's being made by Stan and his family um, in his battle uh, against Alzheimer's disease. So thank you so much to everybody, all of our Twitter followers, all of our listeners that contributed to that. Really, really grateful and really fantastic effort from everyone. I am announcing the winners now. We drew them this afternoon and I'll go through them quickly and we'll contact these people tomorrow. So the top prize was a QPR home shirt signed by the squad. That's goes to Noel Brosnan. Um, There was a photograph of Stan. It was signed by the man himself. Um, That goes to Rod Quinn. Congratulations to you. Uh, Award-winning book by former Home Secretary QPR fan Alan Johnson, um, who's also a QPR fan. Of course, that's Roger DeFratis. FIFA 16, on a format of your choice, goes to John McLaughlin. And a guest spot on the QPR podcast, so he'll be joining us in a couple of weeks, Chris Williams. So congratulations to you all. I'll contact you tomorrow. The only other thing to say is if you saw those T-shirts that Finney and I were in last week and you want one for yourself, for Christmas or for a gift or a present for someone, we've got a deal on with the Art of Football, where if you go onto art-of-football.com, you put in the code QPRpod, you get a 10% discount. And to be fair, that T-shirt inspired me to lose weight. <laughs> Chris My hours end is uh, I just want to wish The QPR under 18s Good luck tomorrow They've got a really tough FA Youth Cup game Against Man United Couldn't get much tougher And they've had some Pretty wild results This yeah. year yeah, no, <laughs> It's yeah, like some yeah. Nine ones and things So, so hopefully, yeah, hopefully They do themselves justice mm. Finney Clive You've got two minutes uh, Bristol City Bristol City Was pretty much Like every game We've played this season Apart from MK Dons And Fulham In that it could have Been a QPR win It could have been a loss And it could have been a draw Because the championship Is just attritional And evenly matched And That's how, that's how it goes Could easily have won If Hoylet's won Had gone in off the bar Could easily have lost You know the, the French lad They've got playing up front Is actually a pretty decent Little player And uh, I think Will be attracting interest We've got nine goals In 21 games So far this season So the only, thing, the, the only thing I would say is that Bristol City got absolutely trounced by Derby on Wednesday, <laughs> 4-0. They did leave three first-team players at home and basically wrote the game off, but Steve Cotterell said afterwards, we can't, not only can we not play against a team like that, we can't live with a team of that quality at the stage of development we're at. We've just been promoted. QPR apparently aspire to get promoted this year, so we should be at the Derby level. And not only did they live with us, they could easily have beaten mm. us. So... I think you know we need to give it a bit of, give Jimmy sort of the second half of the season to build for next season I think we need to get round to that way of thinking pretty quickly because if we push on for promotion and whatever we're going to make a load of mistakes in January and things like that next season's the season for us evolution not but evolution. the yeah. thing about Bristol that, that I thought was interesting was there was a lot of passes Ali Forlan was putting through which were actually brilliant almost world class passes but no one on the same wavelength and you can kind of I keep saying it We've got to sort these contract issues out. We've got to get players who want to go to go or not play them. And even if we don't get in the playoffs, which is not the end of the world, doesn't really matter, that we can build for the season after, that's more important. But we have to get we have to get 
I want to see players playing with smiles on their faces again at Rangers. There's not a lot of that these days. There's not a lot of people that seem to be enjoying playing for us. It seems to be like, we'll turn up on Saturday, we'll go through the motions. I'm not going to... I hope I'm wrong in that, but I really hope they are enjoying playing for the club because it's a great club to play for. And I'd like to see players enjoy themselves more. Ali Fallen always looks like he's enjoying himself. you know. And But one thing I will say at Bristol is, do not sell tickets. And then when fans get there, decide... Actually, sit where you want and then stop telling people after 10 minutes to sit where they want because it's complete mayhem. I've never seen anything like it in my life. And that comes from a QPR fan, as we all are. And, you know, it, that was bizarre. It was a bit carnage. And for people who weren't there and don't know, we sold 1,300 tickets for 1,300 seats and they made it unreserved. So anybody that basically but turned up... But telling at, people it was unreserved. Well, yeah, and people who turned up close to kickoff. No seats, just ended up standing in the aisles. It was, it was, it was not great. But on the falling point, falling for someone who's had three ACLs in three years, yeah, he's yes. playing exceptionally well. He was, he apart from Austin, who's dragged us through by our bootlaces yeah. again against Brighton. Like falling to... was exceptional, and, and we haven't had a podcast since the Brighton game. But can we? We all agreed. We all went. <gasps> When that tackle went in, right from the Brighton guy. If I was only understand his reaction as well. Well, you can completely understand that was that was a poor tackle from someone who'd been putting those tackles in all half. He knew exactly what he was doing, and the referee only gave him a yellow. To be fair, if I I was only fallen, I'd have petrol bombed him. That's a Belfast. (laughs) Paul, Gabriel's having Paul. Paul, Gabriel's having kittens because he wants us to finish. We cannot let a guest leave without you doing your traditional. A do a traditional festive thank you for Hogan. Go. After such a build-up, it can only feel to fall on deaf ears in these podcasts. But to be fair, you're part of that, that winning squad. You, 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 know, you came to QPR, you stayed at QPR, you did a brilliant job at QPR, and you got us. And I tell you what, with people like you, I would swap now for any of the first team that comes in because people like you get our club and that's the most important not your wages the fact you get us and thank you so much for actually coming and curing and playing for this shirt rather than a paycheck no I appreciate that thank you for the nice words it means a lot I think we should start setting that to music yeah <laughs> uh, Hogan you can have the last word well actually you can't because I need to just do a little announcement <laughs> in the end answer this question QPR yeah. means to me what? My footballing world, it gave me everything that I wanted to do. It allowed me to appear in the Premier League, which was a dream growing up. It allowed me to win a trophy, which is just the best feeling of all time. And it allowed me or allowed my family to come and see being a London, being from London, just come and see me every week, living the dream and achieving my dream. So I just want to thank them for that and thank every player that I played with. They made it possible and all the fans because they were brilliant. So thanks everyone. And that, Clive, needs to be set to music. (laughs) Uh, Hogan, thank you very much for coming in. Thank you all for listening this year. Thank you all for your support in 2015. This is the last podcast of 2015. We will be back on Monday, the 4th of January. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to everyone. And here's for multiples of three points. Can't even remember how many games we've got over the festive season. Come on, you ours. The QPR podcast is a West 12 media and Burble Media Production. The QPR podcast is sponsored by Florally Yours, based outside Harrow-on-the-Hill train station and run by Kerry, a QPR fan. They can supply everything you need in the way of fresh flowers and plants for every occasion. QPR! QPR!